So many good things going on this morning, and another good thing is the opportunity to hear God's Word and, and hear it preached as well. Just so you know, I know there's a lot of stuff going on, and so I, I X'd out a big portion of my sermon this morning uh, so that we can get out of here at a decent time still. But I'm looking forward to this passage, and, and uh, you can open up in your Bibles if you brought one with you to Colossians 3. That's where we'll be this morning. We have been going through a series we typically just go through a book of the Bible, but we took a break from that, and we're in week five of a seven-week series in which, here's our understanding as a church. Um, our understanding is that we do worship a God who is eternally and constantly worthy of our worship, that He's worthy of our worship far beyond an hour and a half on a Sunday morning or, or whatever other time we can slice out for Him during the week, that our God is always worthy of worship. And the other truth is we spend a lot of our lives working. And so what we're trying to figure out is is how to have a biblical perspective on work. How is it that we can work in a way that honors Jesus? Something we've been exploring over the last few weeks. Last week in particular, we talked about the fact that we desire to be on this narrow path. And on this narrow path, it's the spot in which we worship Jesus through our work. But our natural sinful tendency is to go off the road and into one of two ditches. On one side, there is this ditch in which we become idle. And that's our approach and attitude towards work, and that's sinful. And the other ditch on the other side is this tendency we have to idolize our work. And that ditch is also one that many of us drift off into. But, but this week, we're focusing especially on how do we stay on that narrow path? How is it that we can work? in such a way that Jesus is honored and glorified, and that our work becomes a part of our worship. That's what we're looking at today. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Throughout this series, we've heard a number of video testimonies from people in our church about their work and about ways in which they've either been successful or not successful in worshiping Jesus through their work. Now today, the video that Drew put together is not so much a testimony from one person, but a number of different people that will be sharing, this is what they do. We have a lot of great people in our church working to do a lot of great things, and so we're just going to hear what a few of those are as we introduce the the message title for today, and that is, Whatever You Do. So here is some whatever of what people in our church are doing. My name is Zach Frazier. I'm a student at Ellsworth, and I work at Ayrton. Jerry Hitch, Justin Jordan. Jeff Deweese, I was like Farmer. Hi, I am Chris Lee, and I work at the Iowa Falls Community School. Brett Risky, I'm Christian Farm. Chad, State Training School. Hi, I'm Rachel Fincham, and this is Emmett, and I am a stay-at-home mom in West Millen and I get to help him with his job as a team. Todd Weber, Jerry Camp Farm. I'm Parrish, and I'm a mom and a nurse. Chris, Cornerstone Financial. I'm Haley Austin, and I work at home as a business assistant. Yeah, Artie Vanderkyde. And I'm Jackson, and I work at the Gathering Center. Randy Hardcup, Jimmy Rooks. Mark Guy, self-employed farmer. I'm Tracy, and I work at home mom. Bob Tim, Farm Credit Service of America. I'm Andrea, and I'm a stay-at-home mom. Russ, Mark Murray. I'm Drew Jackson, and I work at the post office. Steve, Campbell Supply Company. Hi, I'm Kirsten, and I stay home with my kids. Hi, my name is Dan, and I work for U.S. Bank. Ron Allen, retired. Hi, my name is Christy, and I'm a nurse. 
Dave Baker, I'm a state trooper from the Department of Public Safety. Then Lee, me, myself, and I. Randy Tilton, Hardin County Attorney. Hi, my name is Brad. I work for the city of Iowa all right, so that's a little bit of the whatever, and that's what that's our topic for today. As we look at Colossians 3, we're looking at whatever you do. Um, if you want to, you can follow along uh, in the message. That third point is the one that I cut out. Um, but, but there's an outline in your bulletin that hopefully will help guide you not only through the sermon this morning, but as you seek to apply it throughout this week as well. So again, in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 12. So one of our customs here is as we read God's Word, just to honor it, because it is God's Word we stand, if you're able to. So please stand as we read God's Word this morning, starting in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You can be seated. So grateful to hear from the graduates their future plans, and, and I can't remember exactly how Kristen said it, something about not just undecided, but like completely undecided, is that what you said? And that's the, you know, if we're honest, that's where really a lot of us are at, like, well, I kind of maybe have something like an idea, um, but, but generally kind of undecided with what exactly I'm going to do for the rest of my life. But we're going to look here at Colossians chapter 3. You notice that two times I read this phrase, Whatever you do, in two different verses it shows up there. We're going to be there here at the end of the at the end of the message. We're going to start in verse 12. You know, two things that I would assume that whatever kind of work you do, the two things that you do before you start your work day is that you get dressed and you eat something. I would assume that's probably something most of us do. The first thing we're going to talk about is what do you put on? How do you get dressed for work? What is it that we ought to put on? See that in verses 12 through 14. Look at verses 12 through 14. It begins with this command, put on then. But then, interestingly, instead of getting right to the command, there's this break where it reminds us of our identity. Okay? It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved. It reminds us who we are. Before it says, here's what you need to put on, it says, remember who you are. You are, as Christians, he's, this is Paul writing to the church at Colossae, he's writing to Christians, he's saying, listen, you are God's chosen ones. You are holy and beloved. Therefore, this is what you ought to put on. See, our identity determines what we put on. As Christians, because we have the identity as Christians, we ought to put on certain things. Our identity determines what we put on. I, I, there was a couple different times in my life where I had two jobs. Um, one in high school, I was both a front desk clerk at a hotel, and I was a baseball coach. And so when I went to work as a front desk clerk, I would put on a button-down shirt with the company logo on one side and a name tag on the other side. And when I went to work as a baseball coach, I would wear a team shirt and a baseball cap. In seminary, I worked both as a medical records clerk, which had I had to dress in business casual for that, but I also worked at a, as a gas station attendant at a full-service gas station. I didn't dress in business casual for that. What we do, the work, the identity that we have, determines what it is that we put on. And so as Christians, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, there are certain things that we ought to put on. There are certain things that we ought to get dressed with. So what should Christians wear? Look at verse 12. There's a list there. Compassionate hearts. That's just hearts of passionate mercy toward other people. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. That's just basically being good to others. We ought to put on kindness. We ought to put on humility, which is not thinking so highly of ourselves. We ought to put on meekness, which is gentleness and mildness. We ought to put on patience, it says. Well, that's a hard one. And then it explains a little more of what that looks like. Patience includes bearing with each other. Okay, That, that there are those who, who sometimes you just have to learn to bear with sometimes, right? And then there is also forgiving each other. Did you notice that there in verse 13? Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgiving is just no longer holding something against someone. And so we ought to, as Christians, always be forgiving people, not holding things against other people. We can do this in our marriages. We can hold something against our spouse. We can do this uh, between parent and child relationships. We can do this in work relationships, that we, we hold on to something against someone else not forgiving, but as Christians we're called to put on forgiveness. And why? What's the basis for that? Because the Lord has forgiven us. If we are in Christ, He no longer holds our sin against us, but He has put it on His Son, Christ. So, he no longer, so we ought to also forgive one another. And then above all these, it says in verse 14, put on love, which is like the belt that holds everything else in place. And love is basically acting for the good of others. Okay? So all these things, these are what we're supposed to get dressed with. Imagine, imagine what work would look like if before you went to work and before the other people that you work with came to work, that they put those things on. What if you got dressed in the morning with kindness and humility and patience and love? How different would our work experience be? Maybe that's something you ought to do this week as you get prepared to go off to work, to school, wherever work is. That, that you open up Colossians chapter 3 and you ask God, God, would you help me this morning to, to dress myself, to put on these things that are not very natural for me? It's not very natural for me to be kind and loving. 
I'm pretty naturally self-centered. But God, would you come and help me today to be humble, gentle, patient? need your help with this, God. But we don't often just start out our work day with getting dressed. We also put something in. I, I don't function well. Maybe you're like me. I don't function well if I don't eat well in the morning. i got to get going with something to eat. And do we have any cereal lovers here? we got people that just love cereal. You can eat it multiple times a week, maybe even multiple times a day. I'm not one of those people. I, I can do cereal like once or twice a, a week probably. And, and the other times I eat kind of non-traditional breakfast, whatever happens to be around. So a couple weeks ago, I started out my day by dipping tortilla chips into this spicy rice, bean, meat thing, cheese thing. Uh, I can't Whatever it was, I, that was my breakfast. I had tortilla chips and I had that and that was good enough for me. But I needed to start my day out with something. I needed to put something in myself to fill myself up with something before I went off to work. Verses 15 and 16 talk about what we put in. Verses 15 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of Christ ought to be what rules in our hearts. The peace of Christ. Well, what is the peace of Christ? That is not just this not fighting anymore. That is this sense of wholeness, that, 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 that now Jesus is with me. He is present with me. I once was an enemy of him. And now I am a friend, and he's made me that, and I am living my life being ruled not by scurrying and, and, and scuttling about trying to take care of everything, but I know whose I am. I am secure in him. Therefore, I let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. That would be a good way to go to work in the morning or in the evening, whenever you go to work. And be thankful, it says. It says that at the end of verse 15. It also says that in verse 16 and verse 17. And to continually be thankful. And then verse 16 says this. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is another thing we want to fill ourselves with. There's discipline required in this. That the Word of Christ does not dwell in you richly automatically, but the Word of Christ dwells in you richly as you continue, put, continue to put the Word of Christ in you. If, if your only Bible fix is on Sunday morning when I'm preaching, that's probably not going to cut it as far as letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. We need to be on our own reading the Bible. We need to be with other people studying the Bible. We need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. That takes some discipline. We want it to dwell, though. We need to keep putting it in. And here's the result. When the Word of Christ dwells in us richly, look at verse 15, 16, I mean. Here's what happens. As the Word of Christ dwells in us richly, we begin to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. A lot of that happens in the context of the church. The church is such a gift. High school graduates, by the way, it's easy when you get done with high school. Maybe you've always come to church and been a part of a church because that's what your parents expected of you. But, but as you seek to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, you need to find a space where you can teach and admonish one another, to both be taught and to teach others. That kind of thing happens within the context 
of a local church. I mean, there are good things. You can do Bible study on your own. You can do a campus ministry kinds of things. But there's really no replacement for the local church where you've got older men training younger men and older women training younger women and elders overseeing the church. You need to, as you graduate from high school and move on, seek to find a church that you can remain connected with, that the Word of Christ might dwell in you richly so you can teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The other thing that happens as the Word of Christ dwells in us is that we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. That also happens as the church gathers together, that we sing songs. As the Word of Christ dwells in us richly, our response to that is that we sing all sorts of different songs. Not just one kind of song that you like, but psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all of them. And in that, that's another way that we're teaching one another. And again, it mentions doing that and be thankful, it says in that verse. Let's do it with thankfulness in our hearts. Now the next point, next verse is really good stuff. Um, go ahead, Delaney, and just kind of put those up on the screen. Um, these are brief job descriptions, and I'm skipping over these because of time. We just need to keep rolling, and I want to get to the last point. Um, but you could spend some time looking over those this week. They're just very simply in verses 18 to 22 and then also 4.1. But when it comes to work, here's the deal. There's so many things you can do. That's why it's so overwhelming when you're a high school graduate and you feel this pressure of, like, I have to decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And it's not like there's just four options. Back in the day, it might have been easier when it was like, well, if Dad owns the business, then I run the business. If Dad farmed, then I take over the farm. It's just easy. But now, because of all of the options that are out there, deciding what you're going to do, is really, really hard, right? And so so there is this, and I don't know what to do. This can be very overwhelming. It seems like the only time when you know for sure what you're going to do is between the ages of 4 and 16. Like that 12-year that period, that's gold. You're like, I know what I'm going to do when I grow up. And you can tell everybody that. And as soon as you hit 16 and you really got to start thinking about it, it's like, I have no idea. And then maybe you're 40-something and you're still, I have no idea what I want to do when I grow up, right? There's so many options out there. It's so hard. I Personally, I started out with a major in elementary education. Okay, I did that for two years. The first day of my junior year of college, like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. So I majored in sociology and secondary education, and then I went on to seminary to train to be a pastor. I had no idea. I liked coaching little kids baseball, so I thought oh, I should be an elementary school teacher. You really don't know, and that's okay. It's okay not to know. Increasingly, our decision with what to do is a pretty temporary decision anyway. I was just reading some statistics. In 2012, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics in the United States reported that the average person will stay at their job for 4.4 years. That's the average. Now, some people are still doing like 30 years, so that means there's a lot of people doing a lot less. 4.4 years is the average amount of time that an American will stay at their job. But they broke that down by age group, and, and the youngest working population, the millennials, their average is about half that, about two years. Two years that, that people will stay at one job in the United States. Some of you are likely working at a job right now that you're pretty convinced is not God's calling. You're like, I I'm just doing it because I have to do something, and I'm just not sure that I want to always do this, and I'm always open to some other possibility. 
waiting for something else to pop up. Others of you are content doing what you're doing, but you just don't feel like it's very significant. That I don't see how this could be, this work that I'm doing, it's not as important as work that other people are doing. My job is just a job. Other people are doing much more important things. I don't know how I can worship Jesus in the work that I'm doing. That's why I want to focus for this last part on this phrase, whatever you do. And when the Bible says whatever, what that means in the original language, in our language is whatever. Okay? It is for real. Whatever. Whatever you do. Okay? Whatever you do. We see that in two spots. We'll just look at those two verses as we close. In Colossians 3, 17, uh, just, just a, that, that gift uh, is one of the spots we see it in verse 23 is the other. That gift, um, grads that you got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally ruin it for you. You probably didn't open it yet. I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it's a book. Um, and uh, it's a book called Just Do Something. It, it's a great little book. And I just want to give you a little teaser so that you might actually read it because I know you have a lot to do. But in that book, the author says this, and I think it's helpful. He says, you can honor the Lord as a teacher, or a mother, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a loan officer, or a social worker. You can work in retail, fast food, politics, or big business. You can be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. You can be just about anything you want, as long as you aren't lazy. And whatever you do, you perform to the glory of God. Whatever you do, that's another whatever you do passage. That's in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. But here in this passage in Colossians 3, we have two whatever you do passages or, or phrases. The first one's in verse 17. Here's what it says. And whatever you do, in word or deed, whatever you do, okay? That means whatever. Changing a diaper, filling out a report, driving a route, planting a field going to school, preparing a meal, whatever you do, okay, whatever, whatever you do, how, how do we do it, how do we do whatever we do, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, that pretty much covers everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, so whatever we do, we are to do it in the name of of the Lord Jesus. That means we come at what we're doing, doing it as his representative. We don't lose that identity, that identity we have as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. That's not an identity you only have while you're sitting in this building. You are God's chosen one, holy and beloved, when you go to work, whatever your work is. And as you go to work as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, we ought to work in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means working for Him, working as His representative. So you're going to your workplace, you're going to your school as a representative or ambassador and doing your work in the name of the Lord Jesus. That gives your work, even if you're feeling like, well, my work is pretty insignificant. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That gives your work some weightiness some significance. If you only grow as a Christian, if the only time you worship or grow as a Christian is when you're reading your Bible and praying, which you certainly ought to do, and I hope that you're doing that, you're not growing very much. You're not worshiping very much. So we ought to figure out how do we worship and, and grow through the work that God has given us. 
We do all things, including work for the glory of Jesus. But then, verse 23. This is the last verse that we'll look at. Verse 23 has another whatever you do phrase. It starts out like this. Whatever you do, work heartily. Work heartily. Maybe yours says, work with all your heart. The tendency that we have, when we have a job that feels kind of insignificant, like it doesn't really matter all that much, is we can just kind of get lazy and cut corners with it. I had jobs like that. In order to get my job as a front desk clerk at the hotel when I was in high school, I had to start out by doing housekeeping. That job is not very rewarding. Or maybe some people find, I didn't find that job very rewarding or significant or fulfilling. And so I cannot say that I scrubbed toilets heartily. I cannot say that I changed other people's dirty sheets heartily. I, I, I cut corners wherever I could. I did what I had to do to keep my job, but I didn't do my job very well. Okay? Work heartily, it says. Work heartily. How do you go about doing that? Well, I think you recognize that you have to recognize that this work that, that I have is work that God has given me. And so I don't care if it, if it feels like exactly my calling, like I'm finding great meaning and significance in it. This is the work that God has given me to do, and therefore I am going to work hard at it. I love this quote from Martin Luther. I'm going to have it up there. Here's what Martin Luther King, not Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. There's a difference. Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, If it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, then sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, Here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Whatever you do, work heartily. Put all your heart into it. Do it well. Do good work. Whatever work, even if it feels unfulfilling to you, do good work as working for the Lord and not for men. That's the rest of that verse. The rest of verse 23, it says, as working for the Lord and not for men. Isn't that a freeing idea? That you're working for an audience of one. That you have one true boss. My grandpa, my grandpa was a cabinet maker. That was his occupation. He had a shop in his own garage, but he also worked for another guy and worked in his shop. The other guy's name was Mike. And I was surprised because I didn't know. I, I saw one time on my grandpa's desk this little, this little plaque, and it said, My boss is a Jewish carpenter. And I was surprised that Mike was Jewish. I had never met a Jewish person before. I was like, well, that's cool. My grandpa's boss is Jewish. And so I went through most of my childhood thinking that Mike was Jewish. Mike wasn't Jewish. That sign was not about my grandpa's boss, Mike. That sign was about Jesus. The, the sign was signifying the truth that, that my grandpa knew that his boss ultimately was not Mike who he worked for. His boss was Jesus, right? Glad I learned that. My my. The, the one real boss is not a Jewish cabinet maker named Mike. That is, not, that is not what that sign refers to. That's not what this verse is saying. That we are working for the Lord, not for men. This gives you great freedom and makes things a little better when you have a tough time with your boss. Anybody, and don't raise your hand because they might be here or something. Um, but you might have a tough time working with the boss that you work with. What if our mindset shifted and we're like, you know what, I'm not working for him. I'm going to work heartily. 
I'm going to work hard and I'm going to respect and submit to my boss. But ultimately, I'm working for the one who made me and the one who gave me this work. Uh, there's a really good quote, and I'm going to skip it. Um, if you want it, uh, uh, come, come and talk to me later. It'll be good. Um, but ultimately, here's this. Here's where our hope is. Our hope is not in us doing a lot of really, really good work so that in the end we get rewarded for our really, really good work. Our ultimate hope, the reason that we get up and get dressed for work by putting on humility and kindness and patience and love, the reason that we, we put in the peace of Christ and, and let ourselves be filled with the peace of Christ and let ourselves be filled with the words of Christ, the reason that we do those things the reason that we do everything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus, the reason that we do it heartily as giving it all, giving all we got as for the Lord and not for men, we do all this because we want to live our lives worshiping the God who did the greatest work he could have done for us, and that was sending his son. And so our hope does not rest on our ability to do good works. Our hope does not rest on our ability to do good works. Our eternal hope can only lie in one thing. It says this, and I'll close with this, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Let's pray.